trying to fight the brain dead right now, trying to get a f- little flow going. I don't know. <laughs> Today took it out of me, man. <laughs> that sounds like a lifetime battle for you. So best, best of luck. No such, th- no such thing as an oversized gin and tonic. They're always the right size. Uh, how was time with your mom? Good, man. Savannah's great. Um, yeah, Savannah is a cool town. It's a cool town, uh, especially if you're willing to live in a giant swamp. Uh, it's especially nice. Uh, <laughs> but of all of the swamp cities I have been to, it is by far the the nicest swamp city. <laughs> swamp people go. <laughs> exactly. Those Savannah people were raised right. Yeah. Lowlanders as they as they prefer to go by. Okay, then let's take off. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Unqualified. to come in lap after lap after lap and what does he do he ignores them a committee meeting about it stick it on and send him out just get it through the bus stop chicane george try and straight line it get to the line and we'll see what happens paris tries to cut off hamilton oh! Oh, no, it goes straight on this is quite appalling this is the worst start for a grand prix that i have ever seen in the whole of my life Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to Unqualified. I am here with Gerald Carter, a.k.a. the Tire Guy, a.k.a. Michelin Man, a.k.a. the the Rasputin of rubber. Gerald, it's good to see you back in the uh, the cold, sad, and somewhat surprisingly snowy Northeast, man. How, how's your mood tonight? Oh, anytime I get to talk to you, it's a good one. Uh, but I didn't realize one conversation about tires was going to yield such a robust number of of nicknames so um i thank you for that i uh I, we have a lot to cover i i do want to kick off with a very specific question which is drs detection line tomfoolery are you for it or are you against it i am 100 percent for all the tomfoolery i love the games i like the tricks <laughs> i like some burning rubber going at the end of a straight uh yeah <laughs> Beautiful racecraft. I think the yeah the setups of DRS zones, the kind of battling that that leads to something much different than what we've seen in past seasons. So yeah, I'm all about it. You have some qualms with with the approach? No, I'm all for it. And honestly, I just don't understand what the alternative is. Right? Like, I get it if your arguments get rid of DRS entirely, which I think is the direction. But like, we're obviously not there yet, um, even with the new cars. And uh, you know, I guess the alternative is like put it at the end of the turn rather than the beginning of the turn. Um, but I don't know if I like that either, because, you know, then if you overtake somebody on the entrance of the turn, you're essentially penalized for it, um, leading into the next straight. So I think it makes sense, and I like the games, you know. I honestly, I don't want to give myself too much credit as a fan, but after the second attempt that Max had down the back straight, I was like, dude, if you try this again and not wait for the home straight, you're an idiot. Like, it was the first moment in my Formula One fandom where a tactical move on the track felt obvious to me, but not obvious to the driver. And I was like screaming at the television. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, you were definitely ahead of the curve on that one. There's no way that he uh, he was thinking about that either. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think it's great in when you're actually talking about a battle between like two people on track. Where I I dislike it is the whole games of giving the position back and now yeah. like let's yeah. let's play the DRS zone into that. I think that's kind of bullshit. Like give the spot back. You shouldn't get to capitalize on that on a DRS zone. So 
Um, but yeah, in race between two, I love it. All right, Michelin man, we got a we got a lot to get through, so we're gonna do race recap. We'll go reverse order of the grid, team by team. Uh, talk about what we saw in Jetta, uh, and then we're gonna do personal podiums, DNFs, and then we maybe have a little news to cover before we get into Australia, which is thankfully only two weeks away. The season goes on. All right, um, starting at the bottom of the barrel. Congratulations to the only double DNF of the race, Williams. No one better than you. Uh, Latifi into the wall for literally no reason, like in the first, what, 15 laps. Albon has a brush with Stroll. Got penalized for it, I saw. They announced the day after. Loses a part, also DNFs. Any positives here, Gerald? Uh, Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> None. Uh, and they are... Good good news is in short over at Williams, unfortunately, yet again. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little tired of hearing Latifi constantly responding to crashes as though he is completely surprised and, and like somebody else took over the wheel. I mean, in qualifying, he lost it because he dropped too many gears and spun the tires <laughs> going into a turn. This time, you know, through the last turn, going into the straight, put the throttle down in like full wheel lock and spun the tires and overcorrected. So I'm not sure what, how he doesn't know what's going on because everyone else can see it. Um, so, and then Albon, I think unfortunately just got, got a little bit of tired chasing stroll, had a number of chances to pass him on that, on that turn one straight. Uh, and I think just pushed it a little far while stroll didn't give him enough room. Albon was never really making that turn to give, give room to stroll. So I think, little over eager on his part and unfortunately not what you want to see from a guy trying to sort of climb his way back up the, back up the ranks. Yeah. This, I think that the foundations are probably headed in the right direction, but this car is a dog. It's got the wrong engine in it this year. Um, you know, hopefully Albon can have some silver linings and get out of the season with a bit of a reputation and stick around for a few more years. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like him. Um, but yeah, this is just not, this is just not their year. I've got some takes on Latifi. I'm going to save till the end. <laughs> I don't want to go in on him quite yet. We don't want to. We don't want to spend all the uh, all the credit we have here right out of the gate. But I have yeah. to ask, where does this? How, how does two DNFs look for a for a driver uh, competition? Does this is this a win for Albon because he made it more laps before crashing, or do they just have to chalk this one up to a, a loss across the board? Well, like at least. Albon was making a somewhat competitive move on track, you know, is the silver lining. Latifi was all by himself. I don't think there was anybody within a 10 second interval in front or behind. And he honestly didn't even carry a lot of pace into that final turn. And he just like oversteered it into the wall. It made no sense. Anyway, I, yeah, I, my prediction for Williams I think that they're going to be the first Red Bull Power Units customer team. And that will ultimately be their comeuppance. I think they've got the the Albon Red Bull connection now. They're starting to pull them kind of away from the Mercedes power structure. I think that that's going to be the ultimate salvation of Williams, if there is one, is going to be their their attachment to Red Bull Power Trains. So you think a move to Red Bull Power, does that also move them away from uh, Sofina Foods as well? and? and draw up another driver from the ranks or, or you see Latifi settled in here. It's even worse than having an oil baron on track. We've got the heir to a pepperoni empire. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just, 
just binning it. It's anyway, I, I don't need to go in yet. All right. We've given Williams way too much attention given, given their role and significance in the weekend. <laughs> Spe- speaking of insignificant roles in the weekend, we'll move on to Aston Martin. So Vettel obviously still out with COVID. Hulkenberg complaining of a sore neck, finishes 13th. Stroll being Stroll in 14th. They were dead last amongst the cars that actually finished the race. Again, my question to you, Gerald, are there any positives here? Interestingly, I think there's there's actually a couple here for, for Aston Martin. One, they could make the wise move and just have Vettel come back and take Stroll's place and leave Hulkenberg on the grid because so far he's shown higher quality than Stroll in both races. Um, or at the very least, you know, a consolation is the fact that you have a, a reserve driver that's better than one of your starting drivers. So in terms of like contingency situations, you're probably asking for some more COVID at this point. Uh, so I, I guess that's a bit of a, a silver lining. But I mean, for for Stroll again, I mean, this is this is Hulk's first time here on the track, still getting beat late in the race, causing that Stroll causing a crash with, with Albon or being involved in one, let's say. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough going for them. It was a bad, bad weekend for Saudi Aramco overall. And uh, I would just have to say that Aston's the only car with a Ramco on the back of its rear wing. So I just think that that tells all, all you need to know about the story of where that team is right now. So again, so they, so they both literally and figuratively bombed this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> perhaps perhaps all right moving on mclaren um norris in seventh you know more positive than we had in bahrain i would say you couldn't have gotten much worse but still more positive nice little points haul ricardo dnfs with power unit issues uh later in the race but i, I wasn't really following him closely to be honest with you but seemed to actually like have a decent race uh and maybe had some points uh points on but yeah what were your thoughts on mclaren yeah i mean i as well i didn't watch them too closely during the race but i mean by when ricardo went out he was in front of norris they were i think 11 and 12 and so i don't know a bit of skepticism it's not like they were sitting sixth and seventh before he had an issue right i mean and norris was only up into seventh because of dnfs and, and engine issues from Botas as well as Alonso. So, I mean, while they finished well, not a great day overall. Yeah. Slight improvement from from Ricardo, but I mean, man, the poor guy can't catch a freaking break. So, it's what? sad to see sad to see the challenge, but um you can only go up from here. Do we know what's wrong with the car? I mean, it's got the wrong engine in it, but do they have they, has like Andre Seidel been their t- their uh, team is he their team principal? I guess he is, yeah. I get a little confused because Zach Brown plays such a prominent role, but he's not the team principal. Well, Seidel's, I believe, the engineer, right? He's the chief engineer. Chief engineer, and yeah, they kind of, yeah, it's a bit of a different structure. Um, do we know what's wrong with the car, foundationally, or is it like everything? I know they had the brake problem. Uh, yeah. I mean, not specific with, with this issue, but I mean, it just seems like a slew of things, so I don't know if they weren't able to if all of this has really come out as a result of just an inadequate testing program, cause they didn't get enough laps on, on track. And so they didn't encounter enough of these things, but I mean, it seems to be a uh, similar to similar to AlphaTauri, like a different thing. Each how, week. how long does this go on before Norris starts to regret the long-term contract he just signed? I mean, I would have assumed that point had already passed. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
straight after week one, I mean, seeing the struggles, I think you had to second guess, right? You've seen all of these people make moves for the betterment of their careers, like all of your friends, right? Like Russell's going to a new team. You see signs go off and and now find glory with with Ferrari. Uh, Perez sort of snags a seat last second and is now on a on a top team qualifying and pole position. So I think Norris has to feel a little bit um, a little bit left behind at this point. But I mean, I'm not sure what your alternative would would be. I wouldn't have signed the long term deal. I would have. I mean, he's got to think a Mercedes seat would have been opening up in the next two or three years. And then, you know, Perez is not a totally sure thing at Red Bull, or at least when he signed that contract, he wasn't like Norris knows how good he is. I, I, I kind of think there's this weird like father son dynamic going on with him and Zach Brown. It's like he's a dis- he's like afraid to disappoint his dad. And so he's just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hang with you guys till twenty thirty. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a gamble before before any sort of massive rule change. I think Max was was incredibly smart in the way you notice how it was after some like practice sessions where he he sort of he actually put pen to pad. He was like, all right, at least I think we have something here that's worth me continuing to commit to. I don't know if it would have changed, but. But I mean, yeah, signing in advance of that, you're you're walking into a lot of a lot of unknown. But I mean, I wouldn't have expected the the current fall that they have right now. But I mean, again, a lot of it. Who would have expected the sort of the the Mercedes power unit challenges to begin with? But it'll be interesting to see how those waterfall down as as I think Mercedes will continue to close the gap here early in the year. Yep. All right, Alpine. So fifth and seventh in qualifying. Seemed to be, seemed to have a bit of pace. They were fast in the straights. Pretty fierce teammate battle in the first 10 laps. You could tell Otmar lost a couple years on the pit wall. Uh, and I love, I don't think they put any team principal on TV as much as Otmar. They put him on all the time. It literally, in the, seemingly in the middle of some of the most tense moments in the race, he's like on the sky broadcast. And I'm like, doesn't this guy have a job to do? But they had out they had out more a ton tons of team battles. Unfortunately, Fernando he didn't get what he deserved. I think in terms of how well he raced, had the power unit issue, and then Ocon, uh, who I'm personally not a big fan of, uh, comes home in what sixth, barely holds off Norris at the end. Thoughts on Alpine? I think they put Otmar on so much because they show any t- team principal in the moments of their like greatest frustration and angst. And I think Omar is just so much more visible with it. Like he does, he really does like the double two hand, like head in the hands. Uh, so it makes for good. It makes for good TV. I think you can catch t- the only person I think you can catch better off is maybe Toto. But that's like you got to shoot him between like two two monitors when he doesn't think anybody else is watching. Uh, but overall, loved it. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people criticized the team from like not not laying down the law a little bit sooner. But I mean, I thought that battle back and forth was one of the highlights of the of the whole race. So clearly there's no clear team lead there. I mean, both driving very similarly. I mean, you saw it in Bahrain as well. I mean, they were bumper to bumper for several laps while Ocon was trying to squeeze by. And so, I mean, I think it makes makes for a great show. Uh, But what do you think? Like, do you think that team should be able to to continue to fight like that? Do you think they should be playing the team game? There was some talk of could they have actually used that proximity to their advantage and sort of DA, DRS one another 
down the track? Like, what are your thoughts on that in terms of just like team orders overall, kind of where we're at in the season? I mean, there's a chance. So the way I think about it is how much is it? Like, if I'm a team principal, I'm trying to calibrate. If I'm going to let my guys fight, I need to know how much is at risk if it goes south in the case that they come together. And I think that based on how Alpine is kind of performing, I mean, we'll see how Haas and McLaren kind of level out towards the middle and end of the year, but Alpine may find themselves in a bit of, bit of a lonely situation in the constructor standings if they continue to get slightly above average performance out of two very even drivers. And if that turns out to be the case, then, I mean, the only reason you won't let the guys fight, you know, is is because you don't want the cars to come together and have to pay for the damages. But, I mean just the excitement they generate during the race and just having kind of those battles. I mean, I would think that they would want to keep that going unless like something builds up and they truly have some animosity between the drivers and it gets out of control, like a Nico Rosberg Lewis Hamilton situation. But I think they're a long way off from that. Ocon did have like a little bit of a dirty cover. He kind of covered uh, Alonzo pretty late coming into turn one on one of those overtakes kind of, I think early on, like first 10 laps. And then, and then the next lap, Fernando like squeezed his ass coming out of turn, turn two or three. You could just tell he's, I was like, Oh man, I hope he puts a middle finger up out of the car on the way by. Like, and then Ocon tried to get him back and he was like fucking around. And then Botas overtook him. I was like, Oh yeah, fuck you Ocon. Like, I don't like him. I, don't, I really don't like Ocon a lot. I don't know what it is. Like, I haven't quite put my finger on it. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't know enough about racing to say like, Oh, there's something about the way that guy drives that makes me mad, but I just don't like him. I don't know. Yeah, what it is. I, th- I think the common denominator with your general hatred is, is goes back to the French. I mean, you don't like Gasly. You don't like Ocon. It's, yeah. it's a pretty clear trend. That GQ shoot that they did with the drivers, a train wreck of a photo album that I was forced to flip through last week. There's only one man in that photo shoot that looked like he belonged in his outfit. And that was Esteban Ocon. So it was vanity fair, right? Oh yeah, Vanity Fair, GQ. What the hell? Jesus. I don't know the difference. How did you not? How did you mistake I, that, Graham? Get it together. Geez. Um, Yeah, I'm sure that just rubbed you the wrong way. R- meanwhile, Norris looked like a little kid photo shoot, like he was in his like first grade picture. He, it was like sailor looked, costume. He looked like he belonged in that boat that Gunther Steiner was <laughs> photographed next to. Exactly. Yes. <clears throat> just stepped off the set of Gilligan's Island. All right. All right, I think that's enough about Alpine. Uh, Alfa Romeo, you mentioned Botas already. Honestly, a bit of a mysterious DNF. Like I, I feel like he went into the pits for tires and just never came out. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Uh, and then Zoe, he never totally comfortable. He kind of had some like gearbox issues, it seemed, at the beginning of the race, and then kind of meandered around and ended up in 11th, only beat the Astons, which is a pretty low bar. So, Yeah, awesome. I mean, the biggest thing that, that stood out to me is just I guess the coincidence of having three cars on three different teams all go out with engine related issues on the same lap. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what the, what the underlying driver could be or, or underlying reason could be, or if it is just pure coincidence, but I mean, sad to see such great races fall by the wayside on, on engine issues. It's bound to happen. And, but hopefully yeah. I think, this winds down as the season progresses because we're seeing a ton of it. I mean, you saw Sonoda as well. Didn't even get a chance to race. So, uh, and yeah, Botas with another another good drive sort of ruined. Didn't uh, destroy his race on the open like you were sure to point out this time around. Um, and things are going great in fantasy with Botas and Alonso only to come oh, crashing man. down late race. But um, in terms of, of Joe, I think 
look, first time in F1 on the track. I believe he raced there in F2, but certainly very different. And I mean, my expectation in these kinds of things is bring the car home and you you did your job. I mean, he and and he did that. So, um, I mean, you can't ask for much more from for him from that. But I mean, sure, one, I'm sure he would have liked to to finish better than 11th. Do you think that Botas has he changed relative to last year? Is he a, is he a different driver, or has he just stayed the same, and we just have chosen to just view him differently because we're fans, and that's the type of stuff we do? I mean, what did what did you expect to change over the the course of the year? What have you observed? Well, some people are kind of on this like some people are on this take that he's less in his own head. He's more relaxed. He has more influence and control over the team. He's more influential on car setup. They're building around him. And so his performance has been reflected of it. I don't, I think that might be reading too much context into Botas. I kind of think he's just Botas and he just goes about his way like a classic Finn. And he ended up on the right side of an engine change and he's racing how he's always raced. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't doubt that he probably carries himself a little bit differently or certainly feels different on that team. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't connect that to the outcome and the performance of the team as a whole, right? Like I don't, I I think a lot is going to come down to car and engine, but yeah, I mean, it probably feels good to be wanted and valued to like the highest degree, right. And be looked at as the expert. I mean, on any project or team you're on, it feels good to be wanted and feel like you have a say and people. I don't don't know what that feels like. I mean, but you can imagine, right? Like you've seen no. other people get no. to experience that. Hmm. No. <laughs> well, you know, even in the absence of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get there. What? One day. One day. All right. Before I start to cry, let's uh, let's go on to Alpha Tauri. Um, look, the reliability bugaboos are biting this team hard. I mean, Yuki may as well not have gotten on the flight. The man didn't get to qualify, and he didn't even make it to the formation lap. Uh, Gasly avoided the mech stuff, uh, and he's another guy I really didn't follow that closely during the race, but came home in eighth. Any any comments on AlphaTauri? I mean, yeah, Gasly had a a quiet race, lucked out with with all the the DNFs on the the folks in front of him. So, I mean, quite the benefactor from that, getting up into eighth place. Uh, probably wouldn't have finished in the points otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the best thing for Yuki right now is not being under the spotlight and having his DNFs uh, attributed to him and his own driving. And so right now he, he can sort of just ride passenger and, um, and free of scrutiny. I've also noticed in his, his uh, driver radio, like when things go wrong, he seems relatively well composed, but, and so that's a good sign. Yep. It'll be interesting to see if that persists when issues on track start to be his, of his own making. Uh, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping he keeps it together and is excited to have a car fully functioning, uh, in, in future races. But yeah, surprising from the, fr- surprising from the team and, and sad to see, but they're, they're definitely building themselves quite a, a bit of a deficit, but benefiting from the fact that all the other teams are struggling too, with some reliability issues. So I think hanging in there just fine. Yeah. Their reliability issues seem to be different than that of Red Bulls. So tough to know what about that power unit is you know the same as the is the bulls and what of it is secondhand parts and stuff from last year well i mean nobody really knows so kind of hard to say yeah 
yeah, but across the board, a lot of different, a lot of different issues. And so, I mean, it's kind of the, the sad, but also exciting part about the sport, right? Is you never, you think the race is going one way, you're planning for everything yep. and shortly three, four drivers are all of a sudden out and it sort of turned on its head. So, um, but yeah, hoping to see Yuki in his actual form this year at, at some point. Uh, all right. Haas. So big shunt for Schumacher in qualifying. Uh, K mag second man on the grid complaining of neck soreness for the week. I think it might be an epidemic. Somebody has got to do something about it. Seems to have gotten a great tape job from his physio though. I don't know that guy's name, but he deserves a gold star. And uh, he qualifies in tenth, comes home in ninth. So another good performance for K Mag. Any uh, any kind of gut reactions on Haas? It was like an eventful weekend for them, but maybe not in the ways that they were hoping. Yeah, I mean, how does how does one accelerate that workout regimen for one's neck? I mean, is that like a is that a steroids thing? Is this a slow burn? Like, do you have to take days off on your neck? I just have no idea what the what the program looks like for for building that thick and husky neck. Yeah, I have no idea. I think you get behind the eight ball on that. Well, and also like Jetta as a circuit is probably the most stressful circuit on your neck that there is. Uh, so probably a perfect storm. But yeah. But it's just crazy thought of how different it is because it's not he's been driving. He's been doing you know, know. other championships, but having nothing comparable to that degree and realizing like what happens in the race? Do you just does your head just start to go limp and you're just bouncing around on the inside of the cockpit or what do you do at that point you know that little collar that they remove it pops out from around them and they get out yeah, of the car yeah. i don't know what that thing's called there doesn't ever seem to be much space between the crash helmet and that so i've always kind of thought that if your neck just kind of collapsed going around a turn it wouldn't bend that far right and then that thing would stop it but i have no idea i mean clearly you still have to fight it and i can't imagine what that's like i also heard speaking of people that were in pain in the car Gasly said that after he got out of the car, he was dealing with like an appendicitis type thing. And like every single time he would go around a left-hand turn, he felt like his side was splitting open. I was like, well, you're French and you're probably being overly dramatic, but I'm sure that didn't feel good. So <laughs> I thought that was notable. A lot of, a lot of medical conditions going on here at the, at the start of the year. These guys are all warriors in the car. Don't you forget it. So what do you, um, what's your take on, on mixed crash, big crash? Um, yeah. I think it's led to a lot of question marks about the track overall, previous conversations about just the general safety of Jetta. I mean, what's your take on on kind of Jetta as a track and the and the fallout? I have probably an overly strong view on this, and if you you may disagree with parts of this, and so I hope you do, and we, we should talk about it. There, F one Twitter really really pissed me off after this crash because I feel like there was this general like groundswell of support for Mick, like somebody had abused him and like an injustice had happened in F1 and somehow the track and the Saudis were all part of it and everybody just like piled on. It was like, the you know, you know, justice for Mick, you know, like kind of stuff. I'm just like, so there were three things that I was really bothered by. One, uh, people were, I had a couple of buddies text me complaining about the coverage and they were like, this is the worst replay coverage I've ever seen. Why have they not shown anything? Well, because if a guy's just got dismembered in a crash, like they're not going to show it until they can confirm his condition. So I'll take that as like, you're new to F1. Thanks. Come again. The other thing that people were complaining about, and this one really made no sense to me, is they were like, well, obviously the track design is stupid because they put a concrete wall there. They must have not thought anybody was going to hit it. But, you know, 
and almost screwed Mick. And one of the, I don't know if it was, I don't know who on Sky it was, had a very thoughtful analysis of this, but they were like, it's actually better for Mick that it, like that is deliberately a concrete wall and not tech pro or a tire barrier, which are those softer kind of layered cake, like foam kind of barriers. And the notion is that when you hit a wall that you def- should be deflecting off of at high speed, like that one that's coming down something that's mostly a straightaway, you'd rather deflect off the wall than actually hit a piece of tech pro that's going to grab the car and actually slow it down faster and put more G's on the driver. And, and so I, I don't get the whole like, well, let's dunk on Jetta as a track for its overall safety. I think my thing is like, look, if it had been like a drain cover that had come up on the curb and knocked him off his racing line, he crashed into the wall. Now you have an argument, but it was driver error. Like, I'm sorry, it's a dangerous track. I mean, Perez, after his pole lap, they asked him how the lap went and he went scary. But like, I don't hear every driver out there saying that this track is too dangerous to race on. So I was a little bit perturbed by that overreaction, if I'm totally honest. And I think that I think that people got a little bit too, you know, protect Mick. I think it's just part of the sport. And if you're new to the sport, you probably just haven't seen anything like that other than the Grosjean crash and maybe just aren't used to it. But what were your thoughts? So what's the point then with the the concrete versus tech bro, that the concrete creates more of a low angle ricochet that it's yeah. less force because you'll slide further and the, the acceleration is over yeah. a longer period of time versus... Although the Tech Pro might give in a little bit, it, the stop is so, in a shorter distance and so more acceleration. If, if you blow through the back of a turn and you hit a wall head on, you want Tech Pro there because there's nowhere else for that energy to go other than into the wall. Yep. But if you, hit a, if you deflect off of a wall on a partial straight or full straight, you would much rather it be concrete because then your energy gets dissipated down the track and the car can t- continue to go and the wall doesn't have to absorb all of it. Like... There's a serious case to be made that if Grosjean hits that wall in Bahrain and it isn't a, a metal barrier, if it's a concrete wall, he deflects off of it and that car doesn't rip in half. So people hear concrete like, oh, concrete, hard, bad, car, wreck, destroyed. You know, it's like, no, like the track was designed that way for a reason. Like you didn't wake up this morning and just all of a sudden become a track designer. Like I get it's a fast circuit. And it's got a ton of turns, and it's like on the limit. But these guys are pros. This is the type of shit they sign up for. I'm sorry, Mick. I love you. You're a great guy. Stay off the curb. Yeah, you know, I I have typically not been the biggest fan of of street courses. I mean, while I love the qualifying of Monaco as a qualifying purist, the race is generally quite boring. Um, I don't think any of the other street checks tend to be that great. But honestly, I think this one has yielded some fascinating racing. And honestly, if you take the, the engine DNFs off the table and you take Nicholas Latifi out of the race, there actually hasn't been that many issues on the track, which is so heralded as so fast and so dangerous and so many blind turns. And so I kind of struggled to see what the difference is between Saudi Arabia versus other tracks with more inclement weather or things like that. And so, I mean, yeah, I think part that is part of the joy is seeing how are these drivers going to change their style to accommodate for a track that has higher risk. Right. And they talked a lot, a lot about that of this is all about risk. And I know we're getting to, to Red Bull coming up, but yeah, Perez had to probably take more risk than he is ever done in a qualifying session to get that lap. And he did it and it paid off. So that's the, that's the equation. 
Um, so I don't know what what people are are wanting beyond beyond that. Now, if we could talk about some other reasons why you might not want to race in in Jetta going forward, but I think from the the speed and, and track design, I don't know that that's the the best argument. Yeah, I'll say it. I like Jetta. I do. As a track, I think it's entertaining. I agree with you. I'm not always super inclined for street circuits, but uh, I think this one's pretty compelling. So I just have a hard time knowing where the heck we are on the track at any point in time. I think every turn looks the same. (laughs) Every turn looks the same. You have your couple of sections that are like distinctly Rolex branded versus, you know, Emirates Airlines. I can kind of tell what part of the track you're on generally, but it's tough to nail it down at times. Yeah. All right, we spent a lot of time on the Haas crash. Um, anything else to say on Haas before we move on to Mercedes? No, I mean, I just think the last thing on on Haas is, is the intrigue of the decision not to even race, right? I don't know if hmm. that was... Now, was that solely a a timing factor and they just didn't have enough time to ship it all and get it done? Or was it more on, look, it's going to cost us a ton of money. It's going to cost us another car, another engine. And frankly, it might end up in the same place the next day in the wall. So, you know, you did your you had your shot, you lost it. And now it's time to move on to Australia. What's the calculus look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess they were weighing the risk of one of them been in it the next day. Um, And I'll be honest, I bet most of the team principals were forecasting a lot more carnage on race day. I mean, I personally I, I expected five cars to not finish that race, but not for those reasons. And so I think they probably just did the calculus and said, Hey, if they wreck again, we may not be able to put a car on the track in Australia. So, um, and you know, I, I mean, maybe Mick didn't even have a mild concussion. I mean, he looked fine the next day, but you know, it's an, it's an easy excuse when a guy takes a crash that hard that, you know, the network won't show for 20 minutes and makes basically the entire audience think that he's dead. Like they had, they had an out. And I think they took it. So I wish there was more. I wish there was a bit more transparency into like where teams stood with cap. You see it with certain engine components, right? Like you'll get little updates on that, but all of like the resource management component is I think still so under the radar, but I mean, massively interesting when you think about the trade-offs that teams have to make or the risks as a driver that you can and should take. And I think it's earlier this se- you know, it's different this early in the season, but yeah, Haas is probably looking at it and, and looking at their historical record of, um, <laughs> of well, number of cars used and thinking we probably should, we should probably save one of these for at least the second half because they're going to need them. I don't know if the F1 graphics guy works for Sky is listening, but I think you just gave him a brilliant idea for, uh, well, yeah, showing the, the the part quotas, you know, Botas medium tire, third engine, that kind of stuff would be super compelling to have on the broadcast. That I guy's hearing it. it. He's drafting up his uh, his proposal to his boss. He's going to be like, all right, what if we show P&Ls? Let's put them on TV. Let's just show the P&Ls. Guy's probably fired the next day. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? They're like... Like, son, unless you're going to bring me something that increases my level of virtue signaling, I'm not interested on this broadcast. Not interested. At we all. can either have uh, PLs or Lando Norris in sailor caps. I want Lando <laughs> Norris in a sailor cap. Oh, man. All right. All right. Mo- mo- <laughs> moving on from Haas. Mercedes. Uh, this is just bringing back to me. I mean, it's been a little bit over a day since the race, but this is bringing back to me how many different storylines there were in this race because I literally have forgotten that 
Lewis did not even make it out of Q1, which was absolutely shocking. Qualifies 12th, finishes 10th. I think some people want to look at this because of where he sat for most of the race. And they're like, oh, Lewis with a great recovery drive. He beat three cars in qualifying. He beat three cars in the race in terms of who remained on track. So as far as I'm concerned, that's pretty even performance. George seems to have figured the setup out. Uh, qualifies sixth, finishes fifth. So, Gerald, what do you make of Mercedes? Very much a tale of two drivers for this one. Well, just to clarify, so Hamilton qualified 16th. So he did he did move up the grid more. Um, but, I mean, still pretty shocking qualifying. I mean, I don't think he had much to say on radio. Um, I mean, Humble is always just outright made an apology and I think was more disappointed in himself than anything. On the Hamilton qualifying, I have to wonder how much they sacrifice qualifying for the race. If they knew something about the team's overall performance, they had to make a trade-off and and prioritize the race, which I think I I would argue they probably have done a lot historically because they've been able to get away with it, right? They've known they've had strong performance, prioritized the race. It paid off for them, but I think the cost might have been a little bit higher than expected with with Hamilton's pace. Um, And so, but again, doing what he needs to do closing the gap up as much as he possibly can. But again, another team where there's not a clear, not a clear um, number one points holder at the moment. And so I think similar to alpha and others, um, it'll be an Alpine. It'll be interesting to see who, who kind of takes the number one spot there. So does the, does this race change your overall view of, I think everybody left the first race. So like Lewis is going to continue to edge out George for most of the season. Does this change your overall view? Do you think this is a step change for George? Obviously he probably leaves a race with a lot of confidence, but I mean, is, is this like truly an outlier scenario for Lewis and he bounces back or is there something that's going to persist for longer in the season that he should, and we should really be worried about? I mean, it's an outlier for now and we haven't seen any examples of that. Um, so I don't, it certainly could be, uh, uh, an ongoing issue, but I, I have a hard time imagining that, right? I don't think the gap between Hamilton and Russell is that large. Um, they must have made some sort of either setup decision, some sort of trade off. But um, yeah, I, not even being a Hamilton fan, I, I can't hope for that kind of fall from grace. I, as the sport, you would want to see those two neck and neck battling all year. So, and, and that's I what I I anticipate that. But um, yeah, quite a quite a weird, quite a weird day. And, and, um, yeah, so you got to hope for, for better next week. All right, let's move on, uh, to the Red Bull Ferrari battle, which seems to be turning into a, a very entertaining cocktail that doesn't seem like it's going to be stopping anytime soon. So, um, yeah, let's go to Red Bull first. So Perez on a flyer, we already talked about his pole lap that obviously came out of nowhere. Um, Hurt by the safety car, lost track position to signs. Also unlucky coming out of the pit lane. It was just a perfect storm for Perez. Finishes fourth, really gutted. And then, yeah, Max beats Carlos off the line. Uh, gets into second from the Perez stuff. And then has I what I would characterize as a pretty epic battle for about 10 laps. Nipping at Leclerc's heels and eventually gets him. Uh, yeah, overall thoughts on, on Red Bull. I mean, first and foremost, uh, Latifi, the the sort of center of controversy at the end of last season, causing the crash that led to the 
the yellow flag that uh, ultimately the led to the conclusion with Max in front of Hamilton on the restart. And so the, the big takeaway being Latifi giveth and Latifi taketh away. So uh, yeah, <laughs> just terrible luck for Perez. So sad to see. It was a shock qualifying lap and would have loved to see him kind of bring home the win start to finish. He seemed like he had good pace early and, and had the car to do it. Uh, but I mean, good to see Red Bull strong all the way through and the battle with, with, um, with Leclerc was just, was just awesome. I think a lot of has been made about Max and his radio, uh, every week, of course, but, but this week is no exception. Um, he was playing sort of on track steward throughout calling out, you know, Leclerc didn't have lights on his car. He was crossing the white line. Um, you know, he closed the gap yeah. too much on a, on a double yellow. So, I, I mean, you were very critical of Max last week. What was your take on, on Max's nitpicking this week and, and trying to get the stewards involved? The bears are who he thought they were. You know, I just, I think he is who he thought he was. I, I don't have really any substantively different conclusions. I think he is, I think he's a fierce racer. He makes the sport entertaining. He's a little bit entitled and he's kind of a prick and he'll win any way that he can. And you know what? On that basis, him and Christian Horner are a perfect match. So I say, good on you, buddy. If you think you can gain advantage by reporting somebody to the stewards, hell, they make the rules for a reason. You don't have to be right every time. I mean, geez, you know, you don't have to have every part of a made up story, right. To be, for it to be a conspiracy. You only got to get part of it. Right. So, you know, so it's like, I, I know people don't like it and I appreciate why people don't like it, but I kind of love it and I'm unapologetic about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. What do, what do you think? I think, I think Max's behavior is like my real housewives of Atlanta, like my guilty pleasure TV. Like I'm not proud of it. I wouldn't want to be caught acting the same way, but damn, it makes for good TV. And, you know, I think the lesson learned, you know, it, it seemed like things were kind of cordial at the beginning of last season. And then as the season progressed and they realized what it was shaping up to be, like it became very like tick for tack. And I think Max just recognizes that straight out of the gate. And so while they've been sort of friendly and complimentary, I also think he is willing to take absolutely every advantage he can. And so while it feels a little bit tedious, I think I'm just more impressed that the dude can think about all of this and like also drive at the same time. Like the points in time at which he's having a conversation and driving is, is damn impressive. Uh, so props to that. Um, and he still got it done on, on the track. So, I mean, and with no with no steward intervention, so we don't need to hear that whole line. Well, this time hold, hold, hold on, this wasn't steward intervention, but I am curious. I got a little bit of noise from some of my Ferrari fan friends about that yellow flag that came out when Albon made contact with Stroll that prevented him from getting DRS. I guess on lap like I don't know fifty seven out of fifty eight, it was like at the very end, and it was probably the last chance Leclerc was going to get to make a run at him. And I mean. He was in DRS range by a significant margin and then didn't get to use it on that straight. So I don't know. There could be some argument to make that he did get a little bit of bit of luck at the end. Obviously, he earned the position. There's no doubt about that. He made a great move. He saved his tires till later in the race. Uh, and it was all very 
very clean and above board. But yeah, any thoughts on that that late yellow flag? You think it would have made a difference? I mean, it certainly could have, but that's sort of the uh, another interesting element of the sport, right? Is is you know you have this long race season, you're sort of fighting the same people on accumulative points. And yeah, I mean, even if it, like that one thing can make a difference for the whole year, you just might not have realized it until later, right? I mean, there was the opening race in Bahrain where Max had to give a position back to Hamilton. Well, if that doesn't happen, maybe Max wins that race and then Jeddah doesn't, doesn't even matter at the end of the year, hardly. And so you kind of never know what that thing is going to be. And, you know, that's why we can just sit here and talk shit about it and prognosticate and, and debrief as much as you want. But I mean... Yeah, sure, maybe, but I don't think he would have taken it easily. I think um, I, I think that could have ended with some elbows out going into into turn one. Speaking of yellow flags, I'll be honest. I thought I texted some people. I thought Perez was going to get beat off the line by Leclerc. Leclerc had a great start in Bahrain. I was just like this. I, I was too. I was on too much of a high for qualifying. I'm going to have an immediate letdown, and I was expecting that. And then he got away. And then he put a two-second gap on Leclerc. And they actually started Red Bull. You could tell that their strategy was working. They put a lot of they put a low downforce package on to basically make them very difficult to overtake if they got track position. And it was working. And he was pulling away. And I was like, oh my God. We we may get a wire-to-wire Perez victory. This is just unfathomable. And then he goes in the pits and Leclerc doesn't. And I immediately thought to myself, Oh, damn. And then you see that little yellow flag indicator that comes up on the graphic, and it always comes up before Martin Brundle says anything about it. And so you're like, oh, shit. And they hadn't commented yet. And I was like, I bet it's Latifi. And they come on. (laughs) And what do you know? Salami boys put it into the wall. I'm telling you, Gerald, the amount of hate that was in my heart. (laughs) I was on Twitter trying to figure out how to start a burner account so I could literally light Salami Boy on fire. I was so mad. I was so mad. Checo didn't put a foot wrong. I mean, he's going to get his chances. I think my overall takeaway is if this is true pace from him, if this is true pace, like he's this car setup suits him better. If this is true pace, I mean, this Red Bull Ferrari fight could be absolutely epic because it's going to be 2v2, not 1v1, which if you thought Lewis Max was good, try two versus two. I mean, that is going to be nuts. Yeah, if you had a whole team battle, that would be absolutely incredible. Oh. Look, I think I hope that's true pace, pace for Perez. I think in race it is. I'll be honest, I don't I would not anticipate seeing him up there yeah. as frequently with qualifying because I mean, you saw it on his face in his interviews after like he was shocked and he's like, "Yeah, I'm probably not going to like drive it that way again." Like, <laughs> I couldn't do that. I could One in do, a thousand. I couldn't do that lap again. You could see it in the, from his cam too, like he was just hauling, and every corner he could have cut, he did. Uh, so I'm not sure we'll see him quite as frequently up there in qualifying. But honestly, I would have no problem with that, and I have no problem anytime Max starts second and third or fourth. Because to your point, like I think we've been so ingrained with bad expectations of race starts from them that you you, you were just hedging for yourself with Perez. But also, how bad is it that this poor guy who Basically, his constant race strategy is go long, pit later than anyone else. And now he finally sort of does, he's in a position to do the opposite and he comes up and bites him. I mean, you just, you can't be any more unlucky. 
he'll 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 get his this year. I I have a feeling he'll get it at some. Point. But I hope I hope it unlocks something for him. I hope that quality lap. I hope the feel for the car like unlocked a, a belief in his ability to to push the car to the limit. Because yeah, it would be great to see him see him in the mix. He deserves it. All right, we'll finish off with Ferrari. We've already covered him obviously by talking about Red Bull, but I mean, suffice to say, both cars in the top three in quality. Both cars on the podium again. They have jumped out to uh, what is, at this point, uh, a relatively commanding lead in the constructors. I think they're up, I want to say, at least 30 points at this point, uh, clear of the next team. Uh, the car just seems to work. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Any any observations about Ferrari relative to the field and then also Leclerc versus, versus Sainz? I mean, yeah, strong – Strong performance overall. A um, little bit disappointed with with signs off the line, ability to hold up Max at all. I mean, he didn't put up much of a fight. He was sort of handed the third place coming out of the pit. And so, I mean, he never really had to, to show pace, didn't really have to battle on track at all. So it's pretty quiet for him. But, I mean, Leclerc, Verstappen, kind of knowing each other better than anyone definitely is going to set up for one hell of a season. I love the I love the strategy. We already talked about it, but I mean, trying to use the DRS zones to your advantage, playing some games at the that the yellow flag restart again. I mean, Leclerc has Leclerc definitely has Verstappen's Verstappen's number. But it was interesting to see Verstappen have to I think take a, like a reverse I mean, having a car with strengths in reverse of last year, right? And yeah, actually be time. stronger on the straights and struggle closing the gap in the, or loot, I guess the gap getting wider in in the more tricky parts of the track. And so it's just interesting to see them kind of revert their style into to something else. Yeah, I mean, they were losing three tenths in the first sector, you know, which is like six turns, fourth or fifth gear on average, you know, if there is a low downforce or high downforce part of the track, it's that. And then... I mean, it was crazy watching the interval times. I mean, it would just, it would, he would be in DRS at the end of the home straight and he'd be within a half second. And then it would go to like 1.6, like 1.5. And then he would just chase it back down in the final two sectors like every single time. It was crazy how different it's, it was, it was wild. I don't remember a race between Mercedes and Red Bull where I felt like both cars were so equally matched, but on completely different philosophies. Yeah. Where the net, where they, yeah, but the net of it was, which made for an insanely entertaining race. Um, but yeah, I, I have look. I got nothing but respect for Leclerc. I think he um, he, despite the fact that I called him overrated two weeks ago, let's forget about that. Revisionist history. Uh, I think he's got great racecraft. He seems to uh, he seems to be a really respectful guy. I mean, but look, at the end of the day, we can try and build up this like he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy narrative all we want. Sky Sports, but. If they come together a couple times, I think we all know where this thing could head. So, I mean, I, somebody on a podcast I listened to, I think yesterday, was talking about how, well, yeah, Rosberg and Hamilton were chums and carding too. Like, it 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 only takes a couple incidents. So, what I hope doesn't happen is I hope Sky Sports does not try and invent drama between these two guys. You know, like the team battle will be good enough. We don't need to invent things that aren't there. You know they don't need to like take the Netflix play out of the out of that out of that playbook, and just let the season unfold between those drivers as it as it's going to. You know, I mean, 
regardless of contriving any new drama, I wish Sky Sports would just show the drama that is currently happening on track at any given moment. I mean, what the hell is with the replays in the middle of the battle currently underway? I mean, like you have red flags, yellow flags, pauses in the action all over the place. And yet, for whatever reason, you have to squeeze the the drama of the race and the replay into the same like three laps. You know it's bad when the production truck gets called out by like the color commentator who works for the network. Paul Duress is like, "Hey guys, I think you should go back to the live race. Like Max is about to overtake him." <laughs> he literally said that. Like felt compelled to say it on the broadcast. So yeah, I mean, I um, I don't want to like dunk on the broadcast too bad, but I do think at the end of the day, you don't have a commercial load to manage. You know, they, 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 those races are totally commercial free. At broadcasting the U.S. And so as a producer, you don't really have a lot of excuses when you have no commercials and you literally have 20 cars to cover at the same time, which is objectively not that much action when it's in a contained circuit. Like think about it relative to covering a golf tournament, right? Where you have 18 holes, guys on every single hole, you got shit tons of commercials. Like it's a way simpler math problem. So I probably don't give them as long of a rope as a, as a viewer as, as you might otherwise. I also think all of the like color commentary staff, I love the fact that they will call out like elements of the production live. You don't see that in a ton of other sports where they're like talking trash about like bad cuts. We're looking at the wrong thing. But I think I think my favorite has to be. Yeah, I think it was like Paul DeResta again, or maybe it was Jensen Button calling out like the AWS predictions. Right. Like in a lot of practice (laughs) sessions are like, oh, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm just taking notes down so I could see how wrong AWS is at the end of this. Like no respect to the the analytics. That's the most British thing in the world to just take an opportunity to dunk on an American company, even though you don't have any like viable competitor. (laughs) You know, like you're totally irrelevant on the world stage, but you're just going to decide to dunk on us for no apparent reason. So whatever. Go ahead, Paul DeResta. Do your thing. Um, All right. That covers the full field. So let's quickly do a quick recap. So who's on your personal podium and who's your DNF of the week? Yeah, so I got two on my personal podium this week. I have to, despite a somewhat disappointing finish, no podium for the man on pole position. Got to give props to to Perez for finally putting the pieces together when it comes to qualifying. That's been the missing piece and um, hoping that that can continue. And my other one, we've already covered it off, but I love the drama at Alpine. I love the two drivers battling back and forth. Beyond the Leclerc and Verstappen battle at the front, they were definitely the highlight of the race. So um, props to getting some face time with the uh, with the pink mobiles on race day. How about you? Who'd you have on your personal podium? Uh, I, I could have said Perez. I would have, but I, I, I'm going to go with George Russell, actually. I think it's a big confidence builder. It's a bit of a silver lining given that the car is a total dog, but. Um, uh, he's obviously a confident guy, believes that he can be there. And look, I mean, if Mercedes gets the car figured out and they've got, you know, Russell step for step with Hamilton, and then those guys get on the level of Ferrari and Red Bull, this could be pretty, pretty wild. So I was happy to see him stay on it for a bit. Nice. And um, and how about your DNF? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with... Uh, the royal heir to the Safina Foods uh, empire, Salami Man himself. Uh, 
I think it is without question. He does not deserve to be in that car. Uh, you know, fun fact, I actually, in, in an effort to assassinate, you know, figuratively speaking, Latifi on this podcast, I did a little bit of research into him. Uh, and they must have paid one of those people to scrape the web and remove all like the dirt from their backgrounds because there's really not a lot of things incriminating about him or his family or extended family members on the web. But I did uh, dig up some things about his F2 days. And uh, it's actually, fun fact, this is not the first time he's been Alex Albon's teammate. Uh, and what what uh, he actually raced against him in 2018 in F2 and was also blown away by him then. So nothing's changed. Uh, I think that season Latifi was like ninth and Albon was like third, maybe 120 points behind him, not even within, you know, a stone's throw. So I, I, I just don't like Latifi at all. I, I, I think in general, he's just going to be a, an agent of chaos throughout the entire year. And he's just going to cost Orleton capital a ton of money. And I just wish Williams would put a, a young upstart American driver that they could actually start to build a brand around their team with, um, would just be a way better use of that seat. He's just totally wasting it. So how about you? Yeah. And look, while, while yellow flags uh, and safety cars create some, some different drama, I mean, you have to sort of pull the trends and look at who is constantly sort of at the center of, of all of those. And, and Latifi has sort of been the, the big offender as of late. So, I mean, yeah, not, not doing himself any favors um, beyond Latifi. I, I had to go uh, again. If I can dunk on somebody again, it'll be stroll lost out to Hulk despite out qualifying him this time. Um, and I mean, at what point do we think just stroll might not beat stroll might not be Hulkenberg or his teammate all year long. Um, so uh, kind of a similar, similar story to Latifi. I mean, I think at least generally he's bringing the car home in this case, he, he didn't help Albon bring his home at all, but, um, yeah, I mean, at least he's finishing races. So, um, yeah, he's got to do more as well. And then, you know, I think the the second one I had was overall probably, um, and this will get us to our next topic, but I think a big loser for the weekend was was Saudi Arabia. Um, primarily due, you know, a great race, lots of excitement, clean overall, but marred by some controversy in qualifying, the, the bombing of the Aramco facilities uh, in a couple of places out the country, one being less than 10 miles away from the track, um, whether it was true or not, it sort of resurfaced rumors about, you know, whether or not as drivers said, they might not want to race this weekend, whether or not they were sort of had subtle, subtle veiled threats leveled against them as to like, well, you think you won't race, but do you want to leave this country, uh, in one piece or do you want to leave it in, in time for Australia? Not sure if those are true, but I mean, not the con- the kind of conversation that they, that they wanted to have. So they got to be on the list of DNF of the week, but I know you have some differing views on the topic. So curious, what's your kind of, what's your take overall on the, the Jetta controversy? Where, where, where were you at pre-qualifying? Do you think they should have raced or should have not raced based on the information that was known at the time, which albeit was pretty limited. I mean, look, I, I I'm not going to claim to be, nor do we claim to be an expert in absolutely anything on this show, but I mean, I'm not an expert in all things Saudi Arabia, Middle Eastern politics, but I mean, I think there are some very legitimate questions regarding um, sort of the regime, the the rights that people have in the country. And I just want to know what F1 
believes, right? What is their mandate? We've we've had end racism. We have the slogan of we races one. Like, what does that mean? It sounds great. It sounds, I mean, I'm, I can buy into that, but I don't know what that translates into who you partner with or who you don't partner with. They seem to have moved away from a race in China, the obvious move away from, from Russia here, but where does that leave you with the rest of the Middle East? Um, I, let's just say this, I would not have been disappointed and I would not have held it against the drivers if they opted not to race this last weekend. Um, and and yeah, I, I think I would have stood by them. I think both from their belief of like the broader safety concerns about, you know, if people are going to the track to be fans, what that means for the sport, their brand. I would have totally supported that. Um, but where where were you at on things? I guess I agree with your point that I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have held it against the drivers had they decided not to race. I'm glad that they decided to race. I think my overall observation of this whole thing is that people seem to have conflated the broader issue about F1's relationship with Saudi Arabia, which don't get me wrong, is like totally valid. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a fan of sports washing, right? This notion that the human rights violations and kind of the nefarious things that that regime does can be covered up and normalized on a global stage based on their participation in sports, right? Like it's a big thing in other sports too, golf included. Uh, I'm a big golf fan, but that is a separate issue from the specific issue of was the track a safe place to be or not as a fan or as a driver. And I get that it's a little bit jarring, right? Like Max came on team Reddo at one point and was like, is my engine on fire? I smell burning oil. And it was, you know, obviously from the oil refinery as the whole thing was still unfolding. I think that was like FP2 maybe or FP, probably FP2 when it happened. But to me, that track safety issue is a totally separate thing. And I think on the basis of the track safety issue, it would have been a mistake not to race. And I was quick to snap to judgment at first, but I I tried to do a little bit of research about the Houthis and the overall conflict that exists between the Saudis and that. I don't know if you'd call them a political or ethnic or religious, probably a combination of all three minority that's in Western Yemen. Like This is a part of the world that most viewers of Formula One have no context or historical understanding of. I also am not somebody who can just roll into a country and immediately understand and empathize with how the people of that country calculate risk and how they think about it differently. Um, I also saw after the fact that apparently the Houthis announced a ceasefire uh, within a couple hours of the missiles landing. Apparently the whole thing was just a ploy against Aramco and the Saudi government to just get them to the negotiating table. And so they released this press statement that they were under a 48 hour ceasefire and just wanted to talk. And like, all I'm trying to say is I think sometimes people are a little bit quick to apply their own context to a situation that is otherwise completely foreign to them. And I don't want to minimize the fact that it's probably very jarring to have a missile land that close. And if I lived in a city and a missile landed in my city, I would be particularly bothered by it. But uh, I think given the whole picture, Look, also at the end of the day, F1 is a profit-seeking company. Obviously, they want them to race. It's like people think that F1 is guarded about their incentives. No, they're not. Like, everybody knows that they're in this for the money. Like any major corporation, they have public statements, and then they have real incentives and motives, and they obviously wanted them to race. And so I'm glad they did, and uh, it clearly was safe. Um, and we got a very entertaining race product as a result. So, Given that pressure, though, I'm curious what you think about sort of how track locations will evolve over time as new markets are unlocked, particularly in the United States. 
Like, do you think that that changes yeah. the calculus and the allocation of, of races to f- away from places where there is more controversy? Cause I feel like a lot of this was like when it was dominated by European audiences and there was a need for like additional venues and revenue. And so the middle East helped fill that void, but with the growth elsewhere, do you think that continues to be a thing or, or does that, or does that evolve over time? I think it's hard to imagine F1 pulling away from a region of the world without a really good reason to do it. Like the Russia geopolitical crisis, everything you hear about F1 changing is all about adding. It's all about more, right? New markets, more races, more sponsors. Uh, I don't think that they probably internally view their relationship with Saudi as an existential crisis to their corporate identity. That could obviously change, you know, given the geopolitical landscape. But uh, no, I, 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 I think unless something happens and the Saudi government, you know, gets into an international conflict that's, you know, um, denounced on a world stage, I I think they're always going to race in the Middle East. Um, You know, and there might be a day when they have two races in Saudi. I mean, they're building that track in whatever the hell that crazy fun park in the middle of the desert's called. Um, So yeah, uh, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. But I agree with you. Like if we want to have a conversation, like let's have that one, but it does feel like there's been a lot of like veiled allusions to beliefs. Yeah. but, But under the guise of, safety with regard to this particular incident or like the track overall we have to look at is it right given speeds etc it's like well is there is there another conversation you're trying to have here and like if so then let's have yeah. it but also look i mean I, I i'm not you know i'm not a fan of the saudi government just like most people in western cultures but i i'm implicitly by being entertained and choosing to be a spectator of this race and commentating on it and engaging in it as much as I am. Like I'm implicitly accepting it to some degree. So I can sit about it and whine about it all I want. But at the end of the day, I, I'm like, this is a cool track I wanted to watch and I watched. And so clearly I care about human rights, but I don't care about human rights enough to just completely bar myself from entertainment that's otherwise available <laughs> from that part of the world. So you kind of got to look in the mirror at the end of the day and just say, how much do you really care about this? So, uh, so what you're telling me is you hate the Houthis. <laughs> I, That's fair. I've it's told fair. you my the extent of my knowledge about the Houthis, and I'm going to stop talking before <laughs> I make myself look really stupid. So uh, speaking of new tracks in different locations, how about these Vegas rumors? <laughs> Segway! <laughs> enough segue? Segway! <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> uh, all I got to say on this one is I hope the track does not look like the first images that were released online. In general, I'm for the idea of there being a straightaway down the Las Vegas Strip. That would be pretty cool. I assume it's going to be a night race. Um, but yeah, um, feels good to have three in the U.S. Obviously, I'm a fan of that. How about you? A good call out on the home straight on the Vegas Strip. That would be awesome. I do hope there's a little bit more dynamic action in the layout. Right now, it looks pretty pretty bland and um, boring. But man, Vegas is just absolutely crushing it right now. They got the Raiders. They got my man Devontae Adams. Now they're pulling in a track. I mean, yeah, just if you didn't have enough reasons to live in a water-deprived desert, now there is just one more. So, 
Yeah, it should be good. I think those are overall three good destinations for the U.S. Austin, Vegas, uh, and Miami. So hopefully those will be mainstays for a while. But um, yeah. All right. Well, with uh, with Vegas to look forward to sometime on the horizon, we have another track to look forward to more immediately on the horizon. Um, you want to tell us about Australia? Australia, man. Um, I can be honest with you. I'm I'm not a fan of this track. Uh, you know, my sim report, I played on the F1 game, which I'm sure is 100% accurate of what it actually looks like to drive this track in Definitely. real life. Yeah. I think it's senselessly narrow in certain parts, uh, and it's a bit dated. Uh, you, you hear some reviews of the track. It's been around on the circuit since, I mean, the Australian Grand Prix has been a part of F- F1 counter for a long time, but uh, this track in the, Ad- I guess it's the Adelaide Park, or what do they call it? Albert. Albert. Albert Park. Albert Park. Has been on the 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 calendar since 1994, which I think puts it up there as one of the longest standing tracks. And it's just dated. Um, we haven't been there since 2019. Um, honestly, the best thing the Australian government could probably do is come up with another COVID scare and keep everybody away. We wouldn't have to race here. We could just go to like, I don't know, just go back to Shanghai <laughs> and go to a track that's got a little more personality. But um, yeah. I like how you could have picked any other track in the world and you picked Shanghai, which is currently I under like COVID. Like, I, I don't know. People, people hate on China. Does, it doesn't fit with your, your whole, uh, your whole COVID narrative though. Cause they're, uh, they're locked down now yeah. as well. So, well, look, it's a track that, um, it's been a Mercedes and Ferrari stronghold. Seb's been really successful there. Um, last time they raced there in 2019, Botas actually beat Lewis, uh, by like 25 seconds. Unclear whether that was because of a late pit stop for fastest lap. It doesn't look like it because Botas also got fastest lap. So maybe a big day for, for Valtteri and the Alpha again. We'll have to see. But uh, they actually made some changes. Funny enough, they tried to modernize the track. So this is going to be the first year because we missed last year with COVID and the year before. We're going to see some improvements. They've taken some uh, sharpness out of a couple of the turns. They say that the overall lap time should come down by about five seconds on average. So We'll see if it include uh, it, it improves the quality of the racing. I, I'm generally this is not a track that gets people just jumping out of bed, but you know we'll see if the changes make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, I think the changes they made are in the right direction. They were largely about softening a lot of the corners and and enabling you know a bit more speed. I I think they probably could have done the same thing on about five more corners on the track. Yeah, um, it's just a lot of like left you know 90 degree kinks left and right uh which is it's kind of like russia right it just breaks up all of the kind of the racing and the fluidity of the track so yep. um yeah hopefully it's a bit better i i the one prediction i can make is i'm almost certain that uh this will not be uh a return to grace for vettel i don't see him winning this <laughs> this one yeah, if that's they let him in sure. the country he might get djokovic <laughs> we'll see <laughs> Then it's hey, I'm I'm down for some more Hulk. I'd like to see round three. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's turn to predictions. Maybe talk about we'll simplify it. Who who do, who do you uh who do you have on your fantasy team that's coming up two weeks from now? I mean, just given the performance this last week, um, throughout the the sort of the more turny, the twisting portions of the track, I think that again, we don't really know what tracks suit which cars with a huge degree of confidence at this point. But I mean, I think you got to put Ferrari above Red Bull given the lack of um, a lot of strengths, assuming that that, that dynamic carries forward. So 
I would I would put um, Ferrari up there, and just for pure faith, I'm going to go on. I'm going to put signs here. I'm I'm still willing him to victory over Leclerc, even though I feel um, like it's more and more of an uphill battle each week. But um, I'm thinking big things from signs. Verstappen's going to look good. Um, so, but yeah, I think probably Ferrari Ferrari over Red Bull this week. I'm inclined to say the same thing, but because I'm less excited about this race because of the track, I think I'm going to choose a more provocative podium just to get myself going. Uh, I think that... You know what? I think George Russell gets on the podium. And I think it's going to be because somebody between Ferrari and Red Bull is going to have a coming together. Maybe I'll say Perez and Signs. Uh, unfortunately, as much as that pains me, uh, maybe, maybe both of them don't finish the race. Maybe one of them has an issue, ends up in the back of the pack, the L and DNFs. And, uh, yeah, I think we get a Leclerc win, probably Verstappen second. And I, yeah, I think Russell with a quick backdoor podium at the end. Um, and you know, maybe this track will be the antithesis of Jetta and maybe we'll find that this suits the Mercedes era philosophy better. Who knows? Uh, and they have a little bit of a better performance. It's interesting that you talk about signs and Perez coming together. If I had to pick it, if we're putting like Leclerc and Verstappen on the front row here, I, yeah. I could see this being the first the first place that they start to tangle, especially if, you know, not as many clear passing areas. Somebody's gonna have to make it happen in a in a tough corner. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by that by that either. Now the real the real bet here is a question of how many DNFs do you think that we'll have this week? More or less than Jetta? It's so tough to say because Jettas were all reliability related. Um, I mean, no doubt Latifi's probably going to blow through a barrier and run over a dingo. Um, right, so that's one. We got one, yeah. one on the board for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say my over-under on DNFs is probably going to be two and a half, maybe three. And, and I, I, it's still just biased by car reliability. This is not a track that... This is not a track you see a lot of carnage typically from what I've gathered. So it's fair. I'll take, I'll take, um, I'll take the over on that. Take the over on three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of tight midfield battles going on. Something's going to happen. All right, y'all we've covered a lot of ground this week. Graham, I think we'll bring it home. Thanks for everybody for joining us. We'll take next week off and we will be back in two weeks in Albert park for the Australia GP. We'll see you then. Peace.